Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. So this week I have with me a good friend of mine, an old friend, uh, Jafet Ron. And uh, we go way back, uh, all the way back to, I think, uh, should be... I think, uh, Jafet, I met, I met you at New Life Church. Yes, yes, it was there. Ah, alright. So, imagine, we go all the way back to those days, uh, 10, maybe more years back. And... Uh, before I say anything, I'd like him to introduce himself. Okay, yeah, so thanks, by the way, John, for um, the invitation. Uh, my name is Jaffa Trono. I am a Seventh-day Adventist by conversion um, during high school. Um, I am a lover of science, a lover of faith, uh, and I am a trained engineer. Yes, and I, yes, basically... Ah, okay, okay. So, uh, walk us through your life. Uh, where were you born, and um, and how? Like, um, what were the greatest influences when you were growing up? Okay, so um, I was born. I'm a city boy, <laughs> born uh, in Agakan uh, in the in the in the late 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 eighties. Uh, so I am quite uh, <laughs> quite advanced in years uh, compared to a few. Um, during when I grew up and um, my life in uh, in Nairobi, a lot of it was spent in entertainment. I I was born into the Pentecostal church. I um, I really thank my parents for having uh, sustained my spirituality throughout my early years. But uh, barring a few moments here and there, I was largely. Um, a religious, I would say, not irreligious, a religious that I am. I would kind of float along uh, the line of religion. That um, the majority of my life was spent in uh, video games, in uh, cartoons, and things like that. Um, I, I like I, I like I was immersed very deeply in those things um, um, up until high school when there was a particular event that transpired in my life. Um, I was a prefect in, 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 in high school. Then, then there was something very destabilizing that happened uh, uh, during that my final year. And um, as a result of that, um, uh, and also because of the stresses of KCC and things like that, I just felt uh, deeply impressed that I should make my religion more serious. So I began uh, uh, reading the Bible for almost the first time. Before then, I never read the Bible much. I just enjoyed reading uh, the beasts and the creatures in Revelation because they reminded me of the, the imagery that I, I used to take pleasure in uh, consuming in the media that I enjoyed, cartoons and things like that. So, but uh, like a, a serious in-depth study of the scripture, I had never done that before until um, uh, from four, around second term to third term. And, um, that was when I began reading the New Testament. Uh, I perceived that the Old Testament was perhaps too heavy for me. And um, as I was reading that, um, I began like realizing that there are many things. First of all, I realized that Christianity is, is a good religion, that it, it espouses good values. Uh, uh, and when I was studying that for myself, I also understood that many of the Christians who I saw in my life did not were not like the Christians that I read in the scriptures. This is this is no offense because it's just I realize later it's just that being nominal is 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 uh, is 
like it is very natural for a Christian to become nominal. It is uh, supernatural for a Christian to to live out Christianity. So uh, this is uh, I'm not casting aspersion at anyone uh, in my early life was a Christian then, um, but uh, that is when I I had certain questions in my mind as I was studying the New Testament, uh, particularly the Gospels. I asked myself, how come the Christians at present are not like the Christians who I see around me? Um, in, the, in the Bible, Christians in the Bible are not like the Christians who I see around me. And um, that's when a friend of mine handed me a book. Uh, and the book actually had no cover and it had no spine. Uh, and this book, uh, it was actually the book called The Great Controversy. And um, as I was studying this book, uh, 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 all my questions that I had, those immediate questions I had, which were simply, what happened to the church? Why is the church the way it is right now? They were answered immediately and immaculately. Um, and, and immediately I was convinced that uh, 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 this book has, has at least a significant amount of truth that I need. Um, because I, I knew about medieval history um, uh, uh, from the past, um, uh, the books I used to read, uh, the encyclopedias and things like that. So, like all that information in my mind made so much sense. It all clicked, and um, asking further questions um, helped me understand and appreciate the value of what eventually became um, uh, the faith I profess today, Seventh Day Adventism. Um, and so, step by step, various questions were asked, um, uh, either by to myself or by myself to others, about hell, something I never considered before. Like, do they, do, do, would God punish someone infinitely for a finite sin um, about the Sabbath, does God's law change, things like that. So step by step, my religion was, um, uh, uh, it became built upon asking and answering specific questions. So it was, it was almost scientific in nature in that sense that I was building, like I was building up, God was actually working then, but uh, like I could see being built up in my life, a religion that is based upon truths, specific and concrete truths. Um, with with sufficient evidence to justify those claims, um, and as time progressed, now um, I officially joined the church. Sometime later, um, I, I was deeply immersed in 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 proving that what I believed was true, um, and unfortunately, I think over time that uh, I, I saw its its its, my, its value. That uh, that's why I became an Adventist. But then I also realized that there's Jesus as well. That is. Um, the true core, the true center of um, of all those truths. Yeah, and um, um, over the course of my life to this point, I have had that mixture of a view of apologetics as essential to the truth and a faith-based um, approach of embracing that uh, uh, there is that spiritual side that is um, that has to do with character development that isn't so much about apologetics that is also essential to truth. And uh, yeah, that's where I started today. Um, even to this very day, I enjoy studying books on um, intelligent design and creationism. That's something that I've never had an issue with. Um, uh, so maybe it's, I am somewhat biased in that area, um, but I, I enjoy studying that material. And um, I really understand uh, and I see the, the value in, in, in having, uh, in, in immersing oneself in apologetics, in seeing that it is, it is necessary for us to understand that the claims we hold have some evidence. Yeah, and that is actually based upon my own perception of faith, that faith isn't like um, a blind leap into the darkness, but a leap from one point of knowledge to another point of, um, 
uh, uh, of somewhat annoying, but some sense of knowing as well. Mm, right. So, actually, um, you, you you've reminded me a bit of um, of of I remember reading the story of uh, this guy who is the president of Atheist in Kenya, the organization. Uh, Harrison, uh, Harrison, Harrison, Mumia, yeah. Oh, Mumia, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, in your case, maybe you've just flirted with atheism, uh, but uh, I remember I think he was also in high school and asking the same questions. Uh, but you can see where he landed, and <laughs> and you know it's it's funny because um, during that time, even myself in high school, I wasn't. I mean, I was a good guy, but I wasn't. Uh, let let me say, uh, I wasn't as like I am right like now. A, I can uh, like Holy Joe, as I would yeah, say in high school. Yeah. Yes, uh, and I think that's the case with many many people. Um, they because of maybe uh, their bringing or the environment that they grew up in and all that. Um, they by that point in time, not many people are. Uh, they they don't have that spiritual comprehension of the faith in which they've been brought up in. Um, and I think this is usually uh, affects Christians more than Muslims and uh, some of these other faiths. But uh, like I, I just remember, like even. Uh, classmates, um, some of them, I remember there's a guy, I won't say his name, <laughs> but people know him, my, my, my former classmates know him. Um, the guy was even like, he, he would do music in church. Uh, he, he worshiped at NPC, Valley Road. Uh, he would do the drums uh, every Sunday. And um, I mean, at least he was going to church and he was, he was uh, worshiping. Uh, but right now, you know, um, Things have gone upside down, <laughs> and uh, so he, he posted some very. Yeah, I'm saying Sorry? he's left the faith by now. Yes, 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 he has, and and um, uh, I remember even trying to talk to him, but uh, he was like, you know, Sere, just, just, just leave me alone. <laughs> and and it's fine. I, what what I'm thinking, what I'm trying to say is, um, even just you know, uh, tangenting back to, to Mumia's story. Um, that's a, usually, especially in the high school space, is a time when people ask these questions because people are settling down into the path that they're going to take. And this is why I think later on, uh, when we look back and realize, ah, there are people we began this thing with and now they're in a different conclusion, then you know you have this feel and need to to kind of uh, have a conversation, uh, and that's where now maybe just in our brief experience in life, you know, we're not yet even um, let me say forty or whatever, but we haven't lived long enough as others, and um, and uh, but in that brief life, I think we can look at it and say, okay, then I think there's a need for apologetics because things are getting they get more serious as you get older. And you, re you realize that you can't just make choices uh, recklessly. You know, you can't just choose to entertain certain thoughts and beliefs recklessly uh, because it's going to land you in very strange places. Um, yeah, it's going to land you in very strange places relative to how you've been brought up. So um, I think we'll get to, to the thing about um, the, the science, and uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, but before that, um, 
I have a, okay, actually I do have something here. It's a quote from uh, uh, Washington Post, um, an article from 2015. And the article is titled Faith versus Fact. Um, and um, they were asking the question is, is uh, okay, they weren't really asking, they were trying to say that, you know, science and religion are incompatible. Uh, even though they veil it under asking a question. So, but the question is simply like, um, are they compatible? And um, and uh, like, how, how are they compatible? You know, science and religion. And even with the wording itself, I think you'll, you'll agree. When you say faith versus fact, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. even wrong. That's a loaded question, actually. That's a, it's a logical fallacy right there already. Uh, because it presupposes that uh, faith is not fact. So uh, that's very sad, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, um, so, so explain to someone who, let's say, um, is late, maybe is in that high school space where they are, they are asking those questions. Because in your case, you are, you are lucky enough to run into the great controversy, the book. Um, so, like explain with this kind of a question, faith versus fact, how does someone navigate through that? What does that mean? Or how do you correctly answer uh, the question if it was even written correctly? Um, so uh, uh, in the first place, I think it is actually far more common to find that question as stated, um, as you have said in the uh, that post from the, the Washington Post. Um, and immediately, uh, what should strike one is that that is uh, it is called begging the question. Uh, it is a logical fallacy that um, you you presuppose something. It's like me asking you, you know, let's say if you're married or something. It's like, have you stopped beating your wife? I have already presupposed that you're beating your wife, and that means that the the, the answer you give would, would always be wrong because if you say yes, then I would ask, then then why did you start? If you say no, then I'm wondering how can you be this monster? You see. So uh, in that same sense, um, uh, uh, we should be very careful about um, navigating through these questions that are themselves loaded. Um, so immediately I would say that um, faith itself has facts. So it is not really faith versus fact. It is more an approach of um, how, how people interpret different facts, which even science itself is based upon this, that um, you can have conflicting points of view on a particular issue. And um, there are ways that you can resolve um, the, that controversy, that conflict, without assuming that one is necessarily anti-fact or something like that, because then it becomes very emotional. So uh, if our young person, um, or if I was speaking to a young person, I would tell them that we should identify that question is a loaded question. That question presupposes that faith is contrary to facts. And I think as we go on with our discussion, we'll see that faith itself is quite factual and uh, different individuals come with different worldviews, different points of view. And once you come with a different point of view, then yeah, immediately it becomes very difficult. Um, uh, 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 it is possible for your, your perception to be mad. Maybe I can give this example to, to explain my point. Let's say someone is a vegetarian. Then someone asks you, you know, um, uh, what do you eat? Do you eat protein or do you eat vegetables? You know, so already I've assumed what? That there's no, uh, there's no, there's no protein in vegetables. And it is impossible for you to answer correctly. Um, except by tearing even the, like 
criticizing the question itself and stating that no, it is possible for legumes to have protein sometimes lesser to, to lesser degree, sometimes equal, sometimes to a greater degree than than meats. So that is an example of where the Christian should stand his ground or her ground and state that um, uh, 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 that faith itself is factual. Um, uh, in in some points, and obviously there are some points of no knowledge where uh, it is it is necessary to move forward. Um, uh, you know, uh, with um, not sufficient, not a hundred percent knowledge, but sufficient nonetheless. So let me ask: Is there is there a point of crossover then? Uh, because uh, there is this analogy of uh, f this thing about faith and science is like, um, you know, uh, let's say uh, a whale whose area of operation is in the sea, in the water. And then you have, let's say, a land animal or whatever it is, a lion, you know, who's uh, would barely survive, especially being a cat, would barely survive in the water. So is it like uh, they're just things that are meant for faith and religion, um, and uh, or the, you you know you can only deal with science in um, in a materialistic view of things? Is there a crossover between both? Uh, yes, uh, there is a crossover in various ways. First of all, several of the people who uh, we see as noteworthy uh, scientists themselves were men and women of faith. Um, uh, the, I think the strongest example is the example of um, Isaac Newton, uh, for whom um, uh, maybe one could assume just because he was born during a time when um, England was um, replete with the religion, then he happened to have um, taken up a religious spirit. But if you look at his writings himself, he's very positively theistic, very positively. He speaks of the um, uh, it being impossible not to deny to to deny that, that the eye, for instance, was was uh, crafted or formed or designed. And and the, um, he looks at various other um, elements of nature and says that, that design is something that a scientist can note. It is something that is not um, um, assumed, but it's something that is recognizable, is detectable, and from there you make the inference. And um, uh, most scientists actually act upon this, that um, based upon various points of data, you always infer and um, uh, uh, you pick the inference that gives the best explanation based upon that evidence. And at that point you can see already that science isn't always uh, even based upon 100% knowledge. It is often based upon uh, something that even looks like faith. And so already, first of all, like you can see, first of all, among scientists, that they are scientists of faith. Secondly, uh, even science itself sometimes is based upon not 100% knowledge of something. That an assumption, let's say, um, uh, uh, you look up in the sky, like you take measurements of um, uh, the clouds in Venus, and then uh, recently they found that phosphine is emitted there. Then there are questions that are raised up, and then you, might, you like you make claims and assertions, and you act upon that, and you can you can be unsure um, uh, uh, based upon the evidence that is present of what the conclusion should be. And maybe faith is a bit more assertive than that, but um, uh, that word faith describing someone's personal experience can also have those points of facts and evidence, and then you moving forward based not upon 100% knowledge, but um, upon sufficient knowledge. So in that sense, uh, faith and science overlap several times. And when they overlap, because they overlap several times uh, in individuals' lives, in how we, we approach science, et cetera, uh, to state that um, uh, these magisteria, faith and science are separate, 
is it again like it's another fallacy it's something that um is deceptive and we should be watchful of it faith and science often work together um and uh, yeah maybe the question is maybe some some particular tenet of faith could be wrong and uh, that is often a, a mm. matter of debate but in general faith and science they work together frequently well uh okay okay so um i i, I guess for me uh i remember when was this um i don't know if people know um i think he just died this year ravi zakaras and um i don't know okay maybe it was just after high school and um coming across the podcasts first and then obviously the the youtube videos and everything falls in um and you get hooked uh look for his books etc and he was providing um in a way i don't i haven't seen with other apologists in christianity he was providing uh he, he was giving the message in a way that was let me say new and refreshing um and i think that was really needed because many people you know um how can i say this like everyone is like everyone has these questions uh, but the way it's answered it's answered in a way that uh, targets only let's say complicated scientists and, and people understand those kinds of language uh and it's not taught in a way that the common man in the street can actually understand and use in their daily conversations so with ravi at least that's what i found from him um and uh even with his ministry at ziam i think people should check it out they have a they have a website but um he he then you know cuz when you, when you go through ravi's hands then you can now open up balinski and <laughs> and truly understand because those are the people he reads and i don't know what it was with you um i know you've come across him you've 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 had some of his sermons and, and speeches um who are some of these influences before we get now into the very evidences who are some of these influences uh, squeezy with instagram with say influencers but who are some of these influences that uh let me say gave you ammunition in this topic uh yeah yeah so uh, so um first of all it was ravi when i was in university um i, I watched lots of his work but uh, with regard to uh, different strains i would say that um for the for philosophy arguments for god i would look to um uh, what's his name craig um i forget his full name dr craig uh, dr i think you know William the one who wrote the book called on god yes yeah that ability we are William and Craig um there's a very nice book he wrote he has two books but there's one that is more uh, it is more for lay people called on god um that, that's one of them um another one would be uh, and this i dwell much more on the design arguments because the design arguments uh, for me are much more they are much more amenable to my mind than philosophical arguments even if they're both equally accurate uh I would say Stephen Meyer, Dr. Stephen Meyer. I read almost all his books that he has published. Um okay, there's only published two. <laughs> but I read all of them and I love them so much. When when he published the first book called Stig Signature in the Cell, 
Um, I absolutely loved it about how information itself is evidence for God. Then the second book he wrote called Darwin's Doubt. There's a third book coming up. It was meant to have been released late this year. It's being released next year. It's on the fighting argument of the universe. Um, I, and, I will, and I'm sure I will devour it. Um, I have also read um, this, there's a, uh, there's Balinski. I've, I haven't read him, but I have watched him. I have read a lot of Michael Behe. I've read, I think, three of his books. Uh, uh, Darwin's Black Box, uh, where he talks about irreducible complexity. Then uh, I read another book of his, his most recent one. Uh, let me actually check it. Um, uh, so Michael Behe. And then I also read from uh, this, uh, another one, uh, author who speaks about specified complexity, uh, about um, information itself, um, um, information being, again, evidence for God. He, he has an idea called specified complexity. His book is, um, uh, I forget his name, uh, and I forget the book itself. Unfortunately, I wish I had this information in my fingertips. Uh, the book is called, anyway, I'll, like, I'll get that information later as we carry on with the discussion. Um, but uh, it's mostly those intelligent design uh, speakers that I listen to. And then lastly, with regard to apologetics, with regard to Jesus Christ, uh, the case for Jesus Christ, uh, Warner J. Wallace and... Um, uh, yeah, that one, and there's another one who again I'll um, I'll get the name um, as the discussion carries on. But you can see, um, unfortunately, um, uh, as I'm speaking, uh, as Adventists we are not uh, uh, listed in that group. Uh, so it's something that we should try and deal with. Um, but yeah, these are Christians. <laughs> we yeah we share the same faith, and um, uh, and obviously we can assist each other in uh, this experience as mm -hmm. we move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I um I think related to that one because uh um these um I, I can say you know Adventism is very uh at least the way it is oriented right now, it's it's uh, oriented in such a way that it's it's um uh, it's it's more like we are more equipped to talk to Christians of other denominations uh than let's say people are not even Christian at all. So it becomes difficult, um, but like even just go listen to uh, someone's, uh, okay, not all, but many, uh, or even, um, uh, uh, how can I say? And there's nothing wrong, but it's just, uh, it's so pastoral. And, and um, you know, it's, it's not, um, I haven't had many preachers, let me say it like this. I haven't had many preachers uh, who uh, have, 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 been equipped or talking uh, in a way that uh, some others can do. And I think there's been effort in the church uh, to come up with that kind of thing, but we'll talk about that as well, all this Moadara and et cetera. So, yeah, it's true. Um, it's, you're right, because um, I think, unfortunately, yeah, our message problem. presupposes that the people are believers. Mm -hmm. And and this is not, uh, uh, it's based upon the current landscape, especially of young people in the country. Uh, very many of them are exposed uh, to some of these really bad arguments, but they are appealing because of how they are um, uh, crafted and developed uh, that you find online, you know, uh, that this person has, you know, exploded the, the belief in God or something. He has, he has this evidence. He, has, he destroys the Bible with facts and evidence. And uh, so you have like 10-minute videos, 15-minute videos that are very well-structured 
um, to present um, a very poor argument um, if you break it down. But if you have no prior knowledge, it, it, it can just destroy your faith in God. And these are young people who, who, have, who have access to the internet and they themselves, like by some ways or other ways because of culture, are beginning to be more distanced from their parents who are more religious. So you end up with a class of young people who right now cannot openly profess, but are already contemplating these um, irreligious and uh, um, um, atheistic um, ideas, even if they themselves have, have not committed, you can see these ideas are playing in their minds. So we, I think we need to, uh, yeah. this ministry of yours is very important. We need to involve ourselves in um, apologetics. Sure, sure. Um, actually, I was even thinking when you're speaking, you know, um, it's, it's, and for those who are not Adventists, just bear with us, Kidogo. <laughs> uh, I know it, it may sound like yeah, we're airing dirty laundry, but um, I think it's necessary. But what I'm saying is, uh, what I'm saying for right now is, actually, you know, we have ammunition. We have, because think about it, uh, the prophetic understanding of things like Revelation 11, and especially because if, like all Adventists should know, it's all about the French Revolution, the ideas that came out of it. Actually, you can even just give us a synopsis of um, of what that means and the fact that even the Bible itself had foretold um, the emergence of organized atheism, um, you know, in the final days, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the kind of, because um, I, I know Lenoit has this, um, for those who don't know, Lenoit is one of our founders, uh, or rather the founders of the church. She she has a statement where she says she talks about the French Revolution and then she says these ideas that came out from the French Revolution will be the same ideas that young people will have to fight against. So as a brief detour, maybe you can you know just truncate um, the story of Daniel eleven. I mean, sorry, um, Revelation eleven, um, in relation to the topic that we're talking about right now. Oh yes, thank you. So. Very, very briefly, um, um, much of Christianity that was um, uh, uh, in vogue in Europe was a kind of Christianity that was quite devoid of true spirituality in the scriptures, where people, uh, for instance, the scriptures are locked in, in, a, in, a, in a, a tongue that was foreign to people in, in Latin, and individuals themselves were not um, encouraged to exercise uh, uh, believing faith in, this, in, the word, uh, in the word of God, as opposed to faith in individuals, in priests, in monks, in saints, and so forth. And so people were distanced from God. And at the same time, uh, religion was normally used as, as a means of gaining wealth. So things like beneficiaries, uh, which are just um, it's like allotments of land that the state gives to the church, that the church can give to individuals that they desire. And um, this this terrible union between church and state resulted in in uh, people being crushed down. There is an example just before the French Revolution, um, in the prologue of uh, the book called I think it's called Attila Sisters. I'm not sure. It's it's one of the books by Charles Dickens, where uh, there is a cut, and uh, in uh, it's a cut that is bearing uh, some barrels full of wine, and uh, because maybe of the unevenness of the road. As the cut is moving forward, one of the barrels rolls off and it crashes, and all the wine is spilled. And the people who are along the streets they rush to try and lick up um, uh, the small bits of wine um, uh, that are on the surface of the road. Why? Because of the incredible suffering that they've been degraded to that level. Um, and that was because of that unholy union of church and state. And so people began perceiving that 
uh, the errors of, 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 of the church at present were truly fundamental errors of Christianity and the scriptures, and not merely errors of individuals who have corrupted Christianity. And so uh, people began espousing ideas of atheism, atheistic ideas, and uh, for the first time, a nation itself um, took upon itself uh, to uh, to establish atheistic principles in a, in a government. And um, that is when so many of uh, people of Catholic faith, monks and priests and stuff were beheaded. It is the period called the, the Reign of Terror, where the Bibles, Bibles were openly burnt, where um, uh, there was a prostitute who was hailed as, like uh, uh, she was a representation of the goddess of reason, where the individuals who were in charge, Robespierre and his, his fellows, they were saying that you know uh, it is reason that is the true God that we should we are to worship, and uh, it ushered in a state of terrible, terrible chaos um, uh, uh, in France, and because of um, uh, uh, the false Christianity that had been uh, perpetuated by the church at that time, and during that time, so many um, ideas that we see at present were were in vogue and were being developed, including um, the reduction of morality, or reduction more like the lowering or abandonment of all the standards of morality with regard to sexual issues and other issues. Um, secondly, the view that um, individuals themselves are the products uh, um, of, of evolution from, uh, uh, you know, amoeba and things of smaller natures um, uh, gradually through time through, okay, I, like at that time, the idea of millions of years wasn't fully established but it was the idea that um, over over long periods of time, um, uh, it was Lamarck who who, who um, has suggested this. Over long periods of time, uh, there was progress, and he had a false view of, of of how he interpreted it. But he 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 at least began the idea, uh, uh, like he seeded the idea in the minds of people, and it became developed later on in the mind of uh, Dickens and not Dickens, sorry, Charles Darwin and others. Um, so um, all the ideas that are present today, the lax morality and the atheism that is present, uh, um, we can see in campuses and things like that, um, that, that is beginning to become more fashionable in these times, was fully present um, during the French Revolution. And, um, so, and, I, and I think that's why that quote that you just gave is uh, quite prescient right now, because we can see it um, happening just before our very eyes, that um, both um, ex ex excessive sexual immorality as well as uh, brazen um, atheism are being um, uh, trumpeted in in various spheres, perhaps not openly in Kenya, but open in the world and step by step, quietly, it is arising in Kenya as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, just amazingly, um, uh, in, a, in a way, you know, like people struggle with things and they don't know where they came from uh, or how, because I, I always wondered, you know, why is rebellion the tag of the youth, so to speak. But, you know, you go back in history and, and you read what happens, or what happened, let's say, even if you go back to the 60s, you know, the baby boomer generation and the, re the, the rejection of the American way of life. Um, and um, coinciding with the Vietnam War, the the first use of, of what, uh, the first widespread use of drugs, um, you know, uh, ruckus music, and all these things uh, coming together to turn a generation against its parents. The parents, who, by the way, they are called, I think, uh, was it the Gold Generation or something? The people who fought in World War II, right? 
so um uh and 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 in a way uh this this now snowballs into now every other generation afterwards but whatever happened in the 60s had its precedence uh like the the first uh you know uh emergence of this kind of spirit uh was at the french revolution and um and i think i remember also a certain other quote that um says that this is what satan had been aiming for like you can imagine all through uh, since the beginning of of time when when uh, adam fell uh, he had been planning for this just that this event uh, that that came out as the french revolution i don't know if you noticed by the in my studies i've been putting out in my blog um i found uh, and i think we talked about this um at some place we were at some bash um the there, there are two revolutions in history that are monumental. You have the French and you have the American. And they are polar opposites. And they are essentially waging war against each other. And even today in America, when you see these BLM protests, and, and I mean, it was unfortunate that guy had to die, or rather that he died. But uh, whatever came out of it, and even the ideas, because you read on their website, they are against the nuclear family. Um, they are against God. They are against history, <laughs> and it's crazy. Um, and even their 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 leaders are confessed uh, Marxists, communists, and um, and we we all know the French Revolution was the first ever communist revolution. So things don't happen in a vacuum. And I feel, uh, in a way, even though as as we've said, like Adventists are not out there in the space, I can say we have the best capacity. Uh, to explain the story correctly because uh, of, of the tenets of our faith um, and our interpretation of scripture and understanding, um, which obviously should be different because we are a different denomination. But because it is different, uh, we are able, and it's different in the way it is, we are able to explain this thing and answer those questions more correctly uh, in a way that maybe uh, Ravi Zacharias or um, whoever else may not have had that conception. And I think there's space for that. There's, there's, there's like, you know, I, I get, I, I guess maybe the reason um, things are not changing fast enough is maybe because we are not yet in our space. But I, <laughs> I hope you, you'll also be writing a book soon enough uh, to breeze that space. So, um, so that's where it all comes from, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they, are, they had always been atheists, but whatever the French Revolution did, I found a, an Adventist philosopher called, um, he was an educator as well, he's from Scandinavia, Christian something, um, from the 50s, 1950s, I'll find out more about. Uh, oh, I think his name is Kirsten Johnson. Yes, 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 Kirsten Jones, and he 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 explained um, uh, this this this. Actually, it's where it's amazing that like that guy was a world class philosopher. Um, he explained the fact that um, you have uh, you have um, materialism, uh, which which is basically saying material is eternal um and it's and uh, it's the only real thing 
um, is, is, is the only, let me say, material is the only what? The, like everything in existence is material, uh, in existence and in operation. And then you have uh, the so-called polar opposite, uh, spiritualism, which I think we can take it back to uh, Plato's theory of forms, um, which says that, um, and, and by forms, it doesn't mean material, he means spirit, um, that uh, everything is spirit, like nothing, phys physicality doesn't exist. It's just a shadow of a spiritual um, thing that is eternal. So you have these two things that are polar opposites. And uh, you said Kristen, 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 He made this uh, assertion that uh, what happened in the French Revolution, it's a very weird thing. That's why even the Bible calls it like a beast from the bottomless pit. Uh, even John couldn't uh, describe whatever he saw as the beast because everything else is like a lion or a whatever, but here is like, okay, what is this? <laughs> and he says that um, at the French Revolution, you had the amalgamation of both these two elements. And they, it's like, because they are both deities, philosophically speaking, because they, they live eternally, right? Um, materially say material is eternal, spiritually say spirit is eternal. And so they come together and give birth to this strange, baby um that is now the products of the french revolution philosophically speaking because man's mind had never gotten to that point and so you have things like feminism like radical feminism really uh you have all these isms you know uh, uh economically speaking you can say communism was the manifestation even politically um like all these things that uh, are just manifestations of the same same atheism uh, that denies the existence of God and tries to live outside existence. So, uh, okay, I've spoken a lot, but I, I was I, I was just saying that I think we have more than enough material to work with, and uh, we have you know like um, maybe uh, if we would open our mouths and say what we know, I think the world would listen and take note. And even some of these controversies that keep on going on um, uh, between Darwinists and uh, the, the uh, even uh, theistic people outside there, I think they will find uh, greater answers if we are able to articulate the Bible uh, uh, according to what we know. So, yeah. I think that's what I had to say. Like it's, I don't know what you feel because um, there's, there's, um, there's this. It's true. Uh, like because what you're saying is that it's uh, uh, even the arguments that favor, um, let's say, God's existence, for instance, are incomplete without um, uh, which God it is. You know, because once, um, and I think maybe in a few minutes we'll go into uh, the design argument, teleological arguments, cosmological arguments, etc. Once you've established that theism is correct, which God in particular? And then um, uh, you get into Christian theism, but then even then uh, you need to be more precise, you know? So uh, uh, with um, as, as, um, as Adventists, and as I've studied personally, I believe that Adventism is the most complete 
um, explanation or application of what is found in the Bible. So uh, uh, for, for a complete um, uh, apologetics discourse, you would require to go all the way from, from uh, disbelief all the way to uh, its most uh, it's 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 most complete a fulfillment and application, which would be um, as as I see it, Adventism. So in that case, um, Adventists would have um, uh, um, the best possible. Um, how can I say? It? Like, would have the most complete ladder. If you speak, to, uh, if you listen, for instance, to someone like David Balinski, the man is not uh, like I don't think he's an atheist. He's a theist. I think he's still agnostic. You know. So even as you read his arguments that are very cutting rebukes of of atheism. You're left um, uh, still floating. You're still wondering. Okay, so this is wonderful. You've uh, destroyed this um, false idea. But where sh should I go next? And then you go to Craig. And then um, afterwards, after establishing Christianity is true, where do I go next? Uh, so uh, you can see that ultimately Adventism would have a more complete, or in fact, the most complete. Um, um, you can say apologetics ladder, from complete disbelief to 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 ultimate truth. I would say. All right. And funnily enough, uh, your life is a testimony to that. So we'll get to that at the end. So take us through uh, these arguments. Um, most people, when they hear evolution, they they imagine, uh, they, they okay, they imagine that you know it says that we are related to to monkeys. Uh, is that really the case? Some that's a misconception. And um, how do you move from Big Bang to evolution? Okay, um, so two things. Normally, when they speak of us being related, they talk about how our genomes are similar. Um, and I think uh, people can quote me and uh, uh, establish this as truth or not, but I believe that it is true that we share 99% uh, similarity of our genome uh, with monkeys, but um, uh, there is much more to the DNA than the genome. Um, uh, recently, they found that... Um, uh, a large part of the DNA that they called junk DNA, which was about maybe 80% of it, actually appears to be doing something. They don't know what it is, but they appear to, it appears to be doing something. So uh, uh, it is likely that it's extremely useful. And in that case, if you compare the DNA of a human being to the DNA um, of a monkey, it's like 87% similarity. Uh, that That's actually significant because uh, 13% difference of all those um, uh, codons is huge. That of, of all those nucleotides, sorry, is huge, um, because if you think of us having like billions and billions and billions of uh, nucleotides inside our DNA, then that means that uh, uh, you'd require some way of evolving, of making all those individual changes through time. And um, if we have a particular period, let's say they say um, uh, it requires like um, uh, I think one million years, or no, maybe maybe like fifty million years, let's say. Uh, difference between um, uh, uh, the ancestry of the monkey and the ancestry of humans uh, meeting. So that ancestor of both humans and monkeys to ourselves is, let's say, 20 million years or something. I, I, don't, I don't think it's 20, it's less than that. But even with 20 million years difference, as as supposed by the, those who espouse evolution, that is nowhere near enough time to evolve all those changes in, the, um, uh, in either the genome or even in the DNA. So that actually tells us that it is impossible to get to where we're getting to through these small changes. Because um, actually, before you continue, I think it is important to establish what evolution is supposed to be. Evolution is uh, uh, basically, uh, in layman's language, uh, our DNA having lots and lots of random changes 
and then natural selection, which is just nature, you know, uh, picking the correct ones or the ones at least that are not dangerous or at least the ones that are beneficial through time or at least allowing those ones to pass which um, do not pose a threat to the existence of that organism. So um, let's say uh, you have like maybe, I don't know, some elephants with big ears, elephants with not so big ears. Um, maybe there's some small changes in the DNA. And what happens is eventually um, the elephants with the big ears get picked by nature uh, because, I don't know, maybe they hear better. I'm, I'm, I'm making a joke here. It's possibly because of, you know, uh, heat uh, dissipation through the ears. Um, so that is what evolution would be. Uh, now, the question is, is it possible to go all the way from the amoeba, all the way from amoeba, um, through step-by-step -step changes of evolution of, of, uh, of the DNA to man? And the answer is, uh, it is mathematically impossible. Or more accurately, it is mathematically extremely, extremely, extremely unlikely. Uh, uh, the numbers of, that, of the likelihood of, of those changes occurring are like 1 in 10 raised to the power, I don't know, like 60 or 80 or 100. That is a ridiculous number. That number just is, it is effectively impossible for those changes to have transpired and for the amoeba through, through, uh, through many, 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 many millions and billions of years of change to have become who you and I are today. So that is um, one way that I would see that um, it, the, the idea of evolution is not possible. Uh, the second you asked was, what is the connection between the Big Bang and evolution? Um, uh, the idea normally is that um, at some point, was it 12 or 13 billion years ago, uh, nothing exploded, um, which is, and they call nothing the quantum vacuum exploded, and the result was everything we have today. And um, uh, because of, uh, as they suppose, entropy and various physical forces, all the galaxies formed, the clusters, superclusters, and then over time, uh, like when I say galaxy, I mean like collection of stars. And then as time progressed, um, um, uh, uh, the gravity that is present in those massive objects called stars and the much larger stars would cause them to, uh, 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 like it would, it, would, it would through fusion, which is the merge of atoms inside those stars would create heavier and heavier elements. And um, eventually those stars would explode, which would create even heavier elements. And now these explosions would create like stellar dust, you know, and now this dust itself would coalesce in some form to make uh, planets like Earth, for instance. And then as time progressed, as these planets cool down, they, they have cores and things like that, they start rotating um, uh, in regular cycles. And then um, Earth, for instance, uh, because it would have been too hot for, for water to have been present as it was cooling, it would all have evaporated. The idea is that um, the uh, the surface of the earth was uh, was impacted by um, uh, I think meteorites uh, that were bearing ice from some place, and um, over time, um, all the way until the um, uh, uh, the whole surface of the earth was full of water. And then, as time progressed, um, there were all these organic elements, you know, like carbon, carbon dioxide, and xylene, various um, um, organic molecules which um, uh, eventually were impacted by lightning or something or heat of some form, some form of energy. And the end result of that was um, something that looked like DNA, like something that looked like RNA. And this RNA obviously had to have been shielded by um, something like um, some form of membrane to prevent it from being um, oxidized away and 
and basically broken up by chemistry effectively and um then as time progressed um this these um, small cells themselves became um they began to replicate because they found a way through evolution through the random changes they figured out how to to replicate themselves and um, um uh, uh, they began to develop uh, through asexual reproduction and then eventually later on to maximize um uh, the how, yeah like basically to make more efficient babies you could say they developed sexual revolution uh, um, reproduction and uh, as time progressed these um, unicellular animals they found um more benefits in working together and they formed multicellular organisms and then as time progressed these multicellular organisms uh, developed organs that is units themselves that are beneficial um uh, uh, to to um, individual purposes and then you know um, as time progresses you know they have the carnivore and the herbivore um uh, the predator and the prey fighting with each other there's an arms race they become better at being predator and prey at, at either escaping and living or or killing and eating and then uh, through lots of evolution lots of uh, changes in the dna and being picked uh, this change is being picked by the, by nature eventually uh, they become more and more complex organisms um, alt- um, and all this is happening in the sea until ultimately um, there's a sea creature that decides it can walk on land through to some way and then eventually uh, uh, this land creature you know through the same system of evolution uh, gets better and better at being a land creature you know uh, through all those things that it learned before um, through the arms race through uh, through uh, um, some changes not being selected away, then these changes eventually uh, becoming more beneficial later on, and then uh, to what we have today. So there's a lot of randomness through the whole process, all the way from the Big Bang to where we are today. And all that randomness is exceedingly unlikely to have been picked. You know, um, uh, That is uh, one of the major arguments, I think, uh, that maybe shortly we can discuss. But that is, in, in brief, what I would say is um, a summary of Big Bang to where we are today, as I perceive it. Obviously, there's some points here there that uh, could have been expanded upon more more clearly. Sure, sure. And okay, I think we'll we'll, we'll uh, on 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 this point we'll finish on with um, uh, some of the problems that are in in, in that um, in that view in that worldview. Um, I was actually just thinking, you know, because okay. Uh, let me say, with the, with the philosophical arguments against it. Um, but before that, obviously, you have to get into the scientific arguments against it. But, you know, like a worldview, you can't just have one source of data uh, for your worldview. You have to, hum- actually, you have to harmonize. And this is what Travi used to say. You have to harmonize uh, all the fields. Uh, so you can't just go to... Uh, you can't just say, okay, geology, that's it, or okay, philosophy, you know, or uh, okay, or just biology, and I'll deal with that. But you have to uh, look at the evidences from all these fields um, and then harmonize them into, okay, now this is truth as I know it till now. Um, so in a, in a way, I also feel much is neglected because there are some serious challenges to to that view. Um, and even like if we can put Christianity to be, uh, or let's say theism to be on the philosophical side of it, 
um, it's it's a very serious challenge. There are some very serious challenges on that. But okay, so you you've talked a lot about randomness, and you've mentioned that uh, you know like um, it's it's highly unlikely, highly okay, highly 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 unlikely that uh, you know all those choices were made perfectly like that. Um, and um, I have to ask you. Uh, what like because the whole point of science is you have to be able to demonstrate it uh, at least in a lab or something like that you have to be able to replicate uh, the nini it has it has to be a law it has to be something that can be shown um, and demonstrated so what are the evidences for it being a law like what are the are there demonstrations or is it because you know if it's not if there are no demonstrations it's just an hypothesis Yes, thank you very much. Um, there are actually two that have come to mind. The first, I think, is something, if you do biology, you must have come across the Operin experiment. Um, it was an experiment uh, to, uh, to sort of prove what I described when uh, that stage of chemical revolution, when the, the, those organics were uh, about to form uh, cells, the very first cell, so from organic to the very first cell. So they tried to say, okay, this thing can be proven. So they took various organic uh, compounds, then they placed them, and this was Oparin. Um, Victor Oparin, I think he was um, a Russian scientist. He was trying to prove that this thing is true. So um, he placed it inside um, this, uh, like a beaker. It's, not a beaker. It was, it's, it's, uh, it's a very complex um, apparatus that he built particularly for this purpose. And he was able to pass lightning um, uh, or basically energy, like like high intense energy, um, not lighting, it was actually electricity, a high intense energy, but he was trying to replicate that maybe lightning struck a pool of water somewhere, and that is how those chemicals formed. So, uh, and uh, he took time and, and he set up this experiment, and um, afterwards he collected the end results. And the end result was, yes, there were some, some more complex um, um, organic molecules and a few nucleuses here and there, but overwhelmingly there was a lot of trash, trash that was very dangerous and harmful to life. Uh, basically trash that could have um, effectively destroyed uh, that um, early life if it had formed that way. And um, so he actually proved that in order for that life to have formed that way through like lightning striking a pool somewhere, you would have to have some mechanism of immediately removing all the unwanted um, uh, chemicals and byproducts that uh, would have hindered the development of, of those um, or, um, um, organisms. And so he suggested, and many people suggested afterwards, that you require something like um, a cell wall that would have prevented or, or like some kind of, you know, like, like a cover or something like that, that, that would have protected those, um, uh, those early life-like life molecules as they were beginning to develop the first RNA or DNA or something like that. But already, you have a chicken and an egg because how do we know uh, that cell walls form? Because cell walls themselves are not natural. It is not normal for cell walls to form as they are. You know, um, uh, you can form like if we can form very very small um, regions, but um, by and large they themselves get destroyed. You know, because of chemistry. You know, because they're either too weak, or because some oxidizing element is present there, or or so many other things. So basically, he proved that you require something very, very special 
and um, uh, 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 like a very specific um, mechanism to remove those specific chemicals you don't want while preserving the ones that you do. And that right there is intelligent design. Like you're, it's like you're trying to design a cell and you're not doing it randomly. You're, you're like you're actually um, um, engaged in a process of making sure that this synthesis path is uh, followed and all the byproducts are kept away. You know, and that is like um, a bit of what um, myself and other chemical engineers do. That um, uh, when you're developing like a pathway to develop, let's say, I don't know, to make xylene not toluene or something like that, then there are particular pathways, chemical pathways that you know will destroy the byproduct or will contaminate it that you want to um, uh, to raise the purity of the end product. And that's exactly what we saw. Uh, in nature, you'd need that. And therefore, you need an intelligent agent. You'd need a being that was outside of nature to do such a thing, or at least a being that is not um, a, 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 the end result of that process of uh, mindless uh, uh, mutation and so forth. So that's the first example that is scientific and provable. The second one is um, uh, they were trying to prove uh, some, I forget his name, this scientist was trying to show that it is possible through very, very many generations of amoeba, uh, some bacteria, I think, yes, bacteria, um, uh, through very many generations of bacteria, trying to prove that um, if evolution is true, and he, he himself was saying it is obviously true, uh, if it is obviously true, then uh, it is possible to evolve new, uh, you can say, new uh, abilities, you know, like like it is possible over time to evolve new abilities. And um, so what he did was um, uh, in the lab he had, and, and he's been doing this experiment for I think, I think 30 years or something. So he has different generations of bacteria, and then he exposes them to different uh, uh, environments, and then those the children of those, those generations he does the same thing over and over and over and over so basically he's replicating uh like a, a, in a very like in a very short time what would have taken like maybe millions of years to happen and so obviously we ought to have seen something like um the development of um, new systems and so forth but what we found in his experiment was the exact opposite uh it was that uh, as time progressed um various uh, um, machinery in the cell that were present in the cell uh, at the beginning of that experiment, they were broken down. And so it appeared like new functions had developed. And uh, an example is there is this particular sugar uh, that is normally synthesized uh, by this particular cells, this particular bacteria. I think it is galactose, this particular sugar that can, can be synthesized uh, in favor of another one. So what he did was um, uh, he was able to break uh, that machine inside the cell so that the cell would not favor another sugar. And so it appears like the cell has developed a new function. But that isn't true. You've actually broken a system. Like, um, you know, it's a silly example. Let's say if, if I chopped off, uh, if, if, uh, if someone chopped off my hands, I can't be handcuffed anymore. So, you know, I have gained a mm -hmm. function, but that's like a silly function. You know, uh, if you have a car and you want to make the car lighter, you can throw away the, the seats, you know, and yes, the car is faster. It has gained function, you could say, but then you've lost functionality uh, in effect. So that is the kind of evolution that we do see in nature, that kind of breaking down of systems to create emergent uh, functions. But those functions are not what we expect from, from the molecules to man type evolution, which would require the development of new structures, new systems, new, uh, new uh, entirely new gene pathways and things like that. 
So those two experiments, uh, I would say, um, at least point quite clearly that evolution has significant issues. And yeah. Hey, hi. Hello. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's amazing. Um, the two of them went out to prove um, went out to prove evolution and and ended up uh, disproving it. And in a way, okay. Uh, okay, you know, you know, it's 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 a it's a little bit of uh, how can I say this? Uh, okay, philosophically speaking, because um, we we need to transition now. Um, like there's a lot I wanted to ask you about uh, Lamatre and and because even as you said, like nothing exploded and then everything came out of that. It sounds very familiar. It sounds like um, Genesis one one, but um, but anyway. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Yes, as in you, you, you have a situation where um, whoever goes to try and prove it eventually disproves it. And for me, it's amazing because you know uh, it's that's the that's the most uh, uh, like philosoph philosophically speaking, it's the most uh clear definition of of error like error is self um what do you call it self-defeating it's self-debunking um you know truth has no need to even defend itself ideally so you have uh a place where like if if they're going to like like there's no you can't really Put it out there as a scientific law uh it's only regarded as such because so many uh of the scientists are taught to believe it and so consensus is not one of facts or evidences but it's one of uh appeal to authority so i because i just transition now into christianity itself uh maybe any final words on because um, I'm looking at this time. Yeah, in, um, on uh, those evidences. I hope you can hear me. Yes, yes, yes. I can hear you. Can hear you. Yeah. So, like, any, any, because what I want, to, I want us to segue into is is this principle of uh, error being self-defeating. The fact that you go out to prove that it's right. And it comes back at you that it's 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 even more wrong than you thought. And and um, even judging from your own experience, because now we are we're really going to get down into like let's say the various teachings and 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 like between the denominations. Why didn't you end up being a Catholic or something else? Like what made the difference for you? And the principle I'm using to move into that is this idea that. Um, uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't have legs, you know? Sorry. It's hello? okay. Yeah. Sorry. There's something in the background. Go ahead. Or, 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 or let me ask like this. Um, uh, I mean, uh, 
Okay. You, okay, you mentioned very strongly at the beginning that, um, you know, you fell in love with the message that you found in the Adventist church. Um, but, okay, because in, in light of, of now looking at it, like, why was it true? Um, and um, in relation to now, uh, why truth is truth? Oh, okay. Yes. Um, is it a heavy question? <laughs> no, 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 no. I can. Um, so uh, I can give some of the evidences that uh, that uh, got me to see that truth is truth. That uh, that, for instance, uh, the main issues that af like affected me were the issue of the Sabbath. I would say, um, because again, as with the evidences that we saw in nature with regard to evolution versus creation, are also present with regard to. Uh, the Sabbath and not Sabbath, because there are various evidences, both in the scriptures and in history, that, no, that are normally brought up to uh, show that, let's say, the Sabbath has been changed or it is irrelevant or something like that. So the two lines of argument normally used um, on the Sabbath issue, for instance, are that the Sabbath has been changed, one, or that it is irrelevant. So either it, the Sabbath is now Sunday or I can have my Sabbath as Wednesday. Those two um, ideas you know, are, are often presented. So in the scriptures, um, with regard to uh, the Lord's Day, and this is something I ask um, every single person to uh, uh, look in the New Testament, there are only eight references of the first day of the week. And none of those references even point to uh, the Sabbath, uh, them being the Sabbath, you know. Um, there's only one which, which suggests that it is a day of collection, perhaps. Then there are a few others which actually prove otherwise, you know. Um, but there are only eight exactly. And then um, what I did is I went through all eight of them, and you actually see quite clearly that none of them uh, can support the idea that the Sabbath is uh, Sunday or that the Sabbath was uh, a, a, any day of choosing. Because, for instance, in the book of Acts chapter 18, this is well after Christ has resurrected. Uh, Paul, for six months, speaks with both the Jews and the Gentiles on the Sabbath day. You know, If the Sabbath was irrelevant, why would would Paul be speaking with, with the Gentiles on the Sabbath? He would speak with them on any other day, you know, um, uh, uh, and similar examples. And then historically, it is quite clear and it's obvious, the same way it is obvious that um, there's, there are some practices that Christians have today that are not biblical, obviously, you know, uh, like uh, uh, the idea of having idols in the church and things like that. Obviously, they are wrong. These are not things that um, uh, can be debated. Yeah. So similarly, it is obvious that the issue of Sunday is extra biblical. Maybe it is okay. Maybe it is irrelevant or neutral, but it is clearly extra biblical. So when you go uh, and look out in, uh, in, in, uh, in history, you find that the Romans uh, did, did not have Sabbath. The idea of Sabbath is a Jewish idea. So the Romans did not come on Sunday to have like church services to the sun god. No, but they had festivals on, um, on that day. And these festivals eventually were uh, taken up by the Christians who were trying to adopt the, the culture of the times to reach the individuals. And unfortunately, uh, they got contaminated with the practices um, um, around them. And so, for instance, you have references of some people saying that in Rome and in Alexandria, they kept Sunday, but then in everywhere else, the Sabbath was kept. That's an example of, uh, 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 of how you can see that the, the idea of the Sabbath not being kept on one. Um, among early Christians was spreading from a heathen 
um, from heathen centers. Rome, obviously a heathen center, and, uh, and Alexander, another heathen center um, to other areas. And so the Christians, unfortunately, adopted these false practices and brought them into the church. Another idea, which is clearly extra-biblical, is the idea of, uh, okay, less clearly extra-biblical, is the idea of people burning forever. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, these are the ideas that, that um, uh, if I go in the scriptures... Yes? Get to that. Sorry? Yeah, just before you get to that one, because that one is very juicy. Yeah. yeah. Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm saying, before you get to that one, that one is very juicy. I just want to make a comment on... Uh, um the first point you've raised on the sabbath and you know most people or something like that they uh, see it's just a day to go to church or whatever it is um and and this is where now uh the two topics we're supposed to deal with come together because the whole thing is about what do the evidences say right because even with let's say evolution or, or whatever comes before it the big bang uh, which actually uh, <laughs> didn't exist until the previous century. Um, and the steady state universe, the theory that it has always existed, uh, something like that. So, um, and, and, and so, as in, for me, there are two major critiques um, uh, as we are crossing over into now, like the theological side of looking for evidences. Um, the first one is, when you consider like the evolution theory and, and whatever it entails, it has this idea that nature is changing and it's always getting better. Um, uh, there's an improvement. And what it breeds is the kind of um, the scientism and things like, like euthanasia and uh, uh, eugenics, uh, which now has this idea that uh, the weaker forms, you know, they're just uh they're just uh nini uh they're not contributing they they are they are deducting from from society and 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 so we need to get away with them and that that's where you find like hitler's racial theories coming from that and um and a lot of the problems that have been caused in this world in the modern era i think also what happened with uh in the in the soviet union in china uh, even though in, under communism it has this idea of class struggle, uh, and 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 so millions are killed because they were unfortunately born into wealth or the wrong kind of family, or the father was just a civil servant, whatever it is. And uh, like, they, like as we said, you know, there, there are many uh, disciplines we we must consider when we are looking for truth. And they must all harmonize. I mean, it's it's uh, evolution is not disconnected from shaping your worldview and how you act upon it because it did shape, you know, Hitler's worldview. Hitler was not a Bible Christian who <laughs> who who um, could, could like preach or give studies or something. <laughs> and if he was really right. Yeah, <laughs> and Christ himself was a was a Jew. Hitler was out there killing Jews, and and this is crazy because people have this idea that at least for Nazism, at you it was a Christian right wing movement. No, it was completely uh, um, atheistic, and in fact uh, based on the teachings of evolution and Darwinism. And so, like all these are what comes out 
play out in the real life years is is testament to whether they are true or not. Because if in the outward world they are ki it's killing life, it's destroying life, it's um, probably safe to say that um, in in the theory of it, then it's probably not the origin of life. Um, just something else also is the fact that it's built on the idea that human nature is getting better uh, with more perfection and technology and all these things. And you find that the two major critiques are number one, the Bible, uh, and number two, the US Constitution. And the, the one place where, okay, there are many places, but the one central place where these two agree in critiquing, like let's say evolution and whatever, is in the fact that human nature never changes. Like humans are like I am as much as a human as as I don't know whoever lived two thousand years ago. You know, um, who can we say? Two thousand years is a long time. Caesar, Julius Caesar, John the Baptist. Uh, I don't know Mary or <laughs> like all those people. You know, I you know the same fears, struggles, uh, passion, lust, like all those things uh, is what is what. Uh, it's part of our, our common disability. And they don't change. It doesn't get better. And and these are this is the central truth of the US Constitution and also um the, the Bible, because now what the Bible now says it it goes further and gives the solution um and, and says what you need is a new heart, a new nature. You know, you 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 need to um uh, uh you need to partake of, of, of the divine nature, as, as Paul puts it. And so essentially, uh, the old must be swept away and the new must come in. And that's where new birth and baptism and all these things come into it. So in a way, um, the way I'm looking at it, Jafet, is like, um, eventually, it's like, it's, it's, there are two ways to attack this thing. Um, and, and by far the Christian, the Christian message is the most powerful. Uh, but you also have this civil system because when you look at Hitler, he had his, he had his own form of government and it was completely antithetical to the American one because of the US constitution. And even in that, you can see that uh, evolution itself is, is antithetical to, to, you know, freedom, even in civil, civil liberties. Because if you if you if you take it further, you you find things like um, uh, Winston Churchill called used to just call it expertise. You know, people organize your life for you, everything. Why? Because this is your place in nature, and and we've evolved to the point where we know everybody's needs, and we can tell you, okay, fine, you're going to work this job, you're going to live here. Like it's crazy. It's true. You know? Actually, it, yeah, it does like, away like, freedom. Yeah, yeah, I think about it like, um, where do we get our value from? You know, um, where, for instance, do we get value of the shilling? It's 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 because the government has has uh, established it as the legal tender. You know, um, so where do we get value as ourselves from? If there is no difference, because there are either two views. The first view is either we have been evolving from nothing to greatness, and if evolving from from nothing to greatness, that means that along the path, even among human beings, there must be. Uh, uh, some human beings who are lesser or inferior to other human beings. And that is where the idea of racial um, hygiene comes in, where, like you said, maybe there are some, some 
more favored races and less favored races along the pathway, you know, like if there's a ladder out there from amoeba um, to the monkey, when it enters man, it can't be like a flat plane. It, there has to also be um, like an equal gradient. And so you have maybe, uh, and this is what they did early on. They said that um, people like yourself and myself are lower in the spectrum. Then maybe you have um, uh, uh, some of the um, Eastern Europeans, they would say, and Middle Eastern people. And then um, uh, on the highest end, there were the, Euro the, not the Northern Europeans and you know, uh, British and, and Germans and English and things like that. So that is one of the ways that you can uh, uh, interpret evolution, which is dangerous because it, it breeds racism and it breeds dehumanizing of people who you think are inferior. The second way is to assume, okay, because it is wrong for us to uh, be racist, which again, that's a value that comes from nowhere uh, uh, for the evolutionist. Uh, if it's wrong to be racist, then we assume that everyone is equal, you know, then that means that there is no value difference between that amoeba and you and me and a monkey and a banana. There is no value difference at all because then obviously that immediately it removes racism, yes, but then now people, every single human has been stripped of, of their humanity. And now uh, um, at that point, now you, you can do the very same thing as before, you treat people like cattle. The same way you can go about trying to say, you know, I want my chickens to lay more eggs. You know, you can say maybe I also want humans to be smarter, you know. And then you start organizing a society in a way that you're trying to breed in particular elements and breed out particular elements and make particular changes. And this social engineering is quite dehumanizing because let's say, you know, um, by mistake, you know, you kill maybe 100,000 people because of um, some mistake in your planning process. Oh, you know, that's nothing. If you, if you think of the great stock of a, of a country being 50 million, then 100,000 is nothing if the rest can benefit from, from, from your, 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 your own uh, brilliant planning process. And these are the dangerous ideas and mindsets that come from uh, this atheistic point of view, this uh, naturalistic point of view, because it's, it's, it's terribly dehumanizing uh, in, in either way. And obviously the, the result is what you were describing before in, uh, uh, in all the great uh, uh, tra travesties in, in, uh, in history, because uh, once you remove God, you remove the source of value. And once you remove the source of value, people are like cattle, they're like sheep, and they can be treated uh, as sheep are. Maybe I want this sheep to have more wool, I want that sheep to have longer legs, I want that human to be smarter, I want that human to be wiser. These humans can reproduce, those humans not so much. And that's exactly what we saw um, in Hitler's Germany. And people were incensed by Hitler's Germany, not because of principle, it's because they saw the end result of the actions, because Hitler himself picked what was already present in certain parts of America, um, where they were already beginning to euthanize people who had disabilities, and um, they were beginning to um, either euthanize or at least sterilize people who had disabilities. And so Hitler was like, hey, the Americans, those guys have something. And they now um, put in practice on, on, a, on a factory scale, something that was on a pilot scale in America. And once people saw the results, not the principle, the results, that is when they, they were disgusted. So in truth, the principle has never changed. So they, are, they remain unconverted. They just don't like the results of, of this mindset of evolution. Indeed, actually, um... There's a, because we're going to get back to the doctrinal part and, and all that stuff, but it all, it, it, it all comes together. Um, this is um, the current president of Hillsdale College. Um, I really like it in his speeches. Uh, he, Hillsdale was founded by um, 
okay, the people who, end, who end up founding the Republican Party um, and trying to abolish slavery in the US um, in 1844. No, okay, they eventually later went to found the Republican Party, but um, so, but they founded the college in 1844 in Michigan. And um, it's always stood like they've, uh, when you read their charter from day one, they accepted into their college all races, men, women. Imagine, I think it was the first college in 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 uh, in the in the U.S. to admit women into that nini, into higher learning, and and to give them degrees. And so essentially, um, and then they have that tradition of 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 fighting for freedom and talking about uh, all these good things. Um, that I think we need to strive for. Uh, so the current president, Ariane, um, he he has a statement where he says that when you look at World War II, and people really don't uh, understand, people just think it was, because you know, people normally say, oh, it's all about the money and all about this, but there are principles at play. Obviously money is involved, but um, money is always involved in everything. <laughs> but there are principles true. at play. He says that, um, he, he says that uh, the principal thing about World War II was the, uh, the thing about human nature and the, the, the government that, that f like the views about human nature, people's views about human nature and the government appropriate, uh, appropriate to those views. So that's what was at stake in World War II. And obviously, um, the Americans had to choose between uh, <laughs> the more immediate devil, who was uh, Hitler, and the less immediate devil, who was Joseph Stalin in, in the Soviet Union. Um, the, the lucky thing maybe is that both of them are fighting. <laughs> Because if they're on the same side, because they, they, they don't differ so much in terms of how they view human nature. But um, you have this, this like there are so many things in history. I don't think um, uh, many young people, um, uh, you know, like maybe, okay, I'm not saying this disparagingly, but maybe they don't take it seriously or uh, read into it and see, okay, uh, these are the real causes and these were the real issues that are fighting out. And and so, um, in a way, uh, America really saved the world from those threats. And even though uh, there are inspirations in America, because you remember Jim Crow in the South, uh, where blacks were excluded from public life in so many things, from banking, et cetera, even zoning, uh, where they could live. Um, and it's all, it, it, even that was part of the process of, of um, uh, maybe one day we should just come and talk through about the history from beginning to end. But um, essentially, like evolution, when when it, it, I mean, it's fashionable for many young people, but only until they realize it leads to Auschwitz and it leads to you know genocide and Holocaust and 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 uh, Mao Zedong killing thirty million people. That's almost the population of Kenya. And that is an understatement because you know whenever people die, you don't really get the full count. So it's usually maybe even half the number. So maybe it could be more 60. 
as in it's 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 unbelievable where these ideas lead to we have the evidences but people just sit on them and feel it's it's fashionable um you know to say christ was sleeping with mary or something like that it's just crazy to me so um that's part of the thing that that era has like there's evidences contrary to it and yet uh people still choose to walk in that path um so like now switching into uh, as we had already begun with the nini scriptures um i find the same and you know people might disagree with me it's fine but i find the same hypocrisy um amongst many christians um in this sense that you know when we are dealing with uh non-believers when we're dealing with uh you know the um the Dawkins and all these um, atheists out there. I mean, we, we appeal to um, very sound arguments and very sound reasonings, um, whether scientific or philosophical. Um, and, and we have this affinity towards evidence and, and facts and, and pro proper reasoning. But then when we come to the scriptures and and I'm sorry to say, but this is why I was disappointed with Ravi, um, especially his arguments against the law of God, as it was. I mean, he did uphold uh, the fact that um, uh, uh, the law had to be obeyed, um, essentially in the fact that it is the transcription of God's character. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering why he didn't go a step further uh, to understanding the fact that, uh, yes, you, you obey because you are saved like you know you you don't you don't um it's a statement of your love christ said in john 14 15 if you love me keep my commandments so he didn't say keep my command keep my commandments <laughs> in order to love me or something like that um so like i hope i'm always uh i'm always wondering what is keeping these people uh from figuring out the last the final last step uh which would open the door to the full worldview that I believe the Bible provides. So you had given us about the Sabbath and, and the fact that um, even the arguments people give against the seventh day Sabbath um, themselves are not founded in scripture. It's tradition. You mentioned about festivities on Sunday in the Roman times, uh, which subsequently, and especially from pagan areas, Alexander and Rome uh, became now regarded as, you know, just a good day to, to have church and now it became the sabbath for them um so what else w what are some of these evidence-free uh doctrines and theories that people hold uh in christianity yes thank you um another evidence-free uh, doctrine is the idea of the second coming um that as christians it is clear from the bible it is so clear from the bible that the second coming of jesus cannot be something like the general progress of society or 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 something similar it is it is an explicit event and it is explicitly stated by, by christ as he was leaving he said i will return the same way i left paul several times several times speaks about if there's no resurrection then it's meaningless that means that there has to be a, a bodily resurrection not just a spiritual manifestation in the afterlife a bodily resurrection and a restoration to how things were at creation and again, you can see already that um, there's, a, there's a unity in, uh, uh, in the truths in the Bible, you know. Um, so 
that's an example of what I can see is clearly this thing is wrong biblically, but clearly some people hold to the um, the contrary um, point of view. And from no reason except perhaps that, um, uh, you know, like this fatigue, this fatigue in waiting for Jesus Christ to return over and over. Um, but it is clear in the scriptures, but people's positions are contrary to those clear um um, and very explicit statements that are found there, that Christ's coming is bodily, that the resurrection will be bodily and in person, um, etc. So I would say that's a very strong thing that we find that is clearly biblical, and all the evidence against it is ex ex explicitly traditional, on something extra biblical, on what some church father said, etc. And 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 um, I think people normally call it like the. The, the more common, uh, the rapture uh, theory, which has a lot of uh, interesting navigations. Um, but I guess I would urge if anyone is interested in a detailed study, you can email me. My email is on the website of, of this podcast. So, um, and we can have that conversation. So, so you're talking about the Seventh-day Sabbath, you're talking about um, the, the second coming of Christ, some of the ideas that are out there. Um, you had begun mentioning concerning uh, dead, the dead, the state of the dead. Oh, yes, thank you. Uh, that's another idea that um, also uh, was taken from uh, uh, more pagan philosophers because in their point of view that once someone dies, they go to, uh, uh, to a place where they're judged and they're taken to heaven um, or to the Elysian fields or something like that, or they are in hell or there may be in some place in between. But the point is that um, they, they, people's souls are naturally immortal. And now the question is, at the judgment, where shall this naturally immortal soul uh, reside? Will it be in the good place or in the hot place? In the Bible, uh, it would make no sense. For instance, the resurrection is meaningless if people are already in heaven. Uh, other things like um, uh, uh, when Lazarus was resurrected, you know, it would make no sense. Like, why did God do that? That would be so terrible. That, uh, <laughs> that, you like you're being like you're en enjoying the pleasures of heaven, and then you're just being sucked back to the earth. You know, like why would you ever do that? Uh, uh, so, it is it is obvious that um, from the Bible, from various uh, texts, in the scriptures, the dead know not anything. The dead are clearly dead. There's there's a, there's a judgment coming in the future, and at that judgment point, that is when. Uh, those going to heaven um, will be there in hell and so forth. And obviously there are more details with regard to the judgment, but at least in general, that idea is present, that the judgment is future, and at that future point of judgment, that is when the partitioning shall be done. That at present, hell is not full of people, you know, um, or, um, or heaven full of people, that people simply rest. Uh, like an example in the book of John chapter 11, um, when Christ is speaking about Lazarus, he says Lazarus is asleep. And then people assume, ah, he's asleep, it's okay, he'll get better. But then Christ now clarified what he was saying. He said, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. So that's, that's, that's that sleep, that state of unconsciousness is what Christ referred as being dead. Even um, in the Psalms, I forget the exact Psalm, David says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Um, uh, Paul, several times in, in, in his letters, describes those who die um, in persecution as those who are asleep. Those who are asleep. Um, in the book of First Thessalonians, chapter four, 
uh, with regard to the resurrection, it says those who now sleep will resurrect. So it's about so that sleep, that state of unconsciousness is that state of death at present. But the idea that brought it up um, uh, is the idea that the soul is immortal, and this is explicitly unbiblical. That is extra biblical. In the Bible, humans are mortal. Immortality is a gift that God gives, and immortality is something that only God possesses. The only individual who espouses explicitly the immortality of the soul is the devil in, uh, uh, during the creation story, when the devil says that you will not die as a result of transgressing God, but you will become like God, knowing good or evil. And um, this unfortunate source uh, is, a, 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 is actually a clear, um, a clear herald to all the resulting terrible ideas that have persisted because of that. I can't believe uh, um, the number of atheists who have become atheists because of the idea that, let's say, this child who's 11 years old is maybe like a rude child to the parent and then uh, quite unfortunately uh, dies uh, in one way or another. Imagine uh, uh, considering this child who has lived maybe 10 years of their life uh, being a sinner, being punished eternally um, because of 10 years of their existence, that would be uh, uh, the sign of a God that is even worse than Satan himself. And uh, I believe this particular theory of um, the immortality of the soul and particularly hell, which is uh, uh, a natural consequence of, of, um, of that belief, these ideas have actually manufactured more atheists than, than even um, um, the supposed arguments, for instance, from nature, etc. Mm. And um, like, so what is the central problem here? What is happening? Because, uh, you know, people normally ask, there are so many, like Christianity, there are so many denominations, but they erroneously, people think that the Muslims are united. <laughs> it's because they don't know the, the factionalism within Islam. Like all the, all the almost all the wars in, in the Middle East uh, in, the, in the previous two or three decades, uh, almost all of them have simply been between Muslims and Muslims. Um, and, and maybe people just don't know about the de de denominations in Islam. Um, but anyway, that's just by the way. Uh, but with, within Christianity, I think the denominational distinctions are very, very um, uh, clear or even deep sometimes. Um, and, and, and so, is this is this just a matter of interpretation? Can the Bible be interpreted correctly? And how do we get there? Because how do we know you're saying the truth? Uh, because these other people, they have their verses. So what is the issue here? What's the why are you seeing things differently from, from let's say uh, a Baptist or a, or a, or a, as you are yourself a Pentecostal? Uh, I would say that um, the key difference is that um, uh, just as in science, you must work upon the weight of evidence, not upon individual statements. Um, individual statements can appear to be contradictory, but when they're put together, they actually cast a particular light on a particular um, direction on a particular issue. And almost unanimously, unless the issue is actually an insignificant one in the Bible, where it is only mentioned once, and that is it. Generally, texts, for instance, on the Sabbath, on the state of the dead, on Christ's second coming, these issues are something that uh, um, are, are matters that have been um, spoken several times over. So once you take all those things together and you use the clearer statements, uh, the ones that can be verified by how can I say, like um, 
by an honest seeker that they, they are clearly saying that one plus one equals two and they're not uh, maybe deriving differential equations. They're very clear, simple statements. Those ones are now the baseline that you use to um, establish the more complex and difficult ones. So um, as an example, with regard to the set of the dead, it is quite clear that death is a, um, a set of sleep by Christ's very simple language. Very simple language. When Paul very simply talks about it, he like uses that simple language. And now when you go to other texts, let's say the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, that assumes like um, uh, like immediate judgment or like um, something similar. Then now you use the simple texts, the ones that are very clear to uh, shed more light on those more difficult texts. And ultimately, you know, uh, this is something that now no one can see. It is about the individual himself or, um, or herself having an honest heart and an honest desire to serve the Lord. And that's something that I can't see. I can't see. Maybe both you and I have colluded to lie to people. No one can see that. But um, uh, in truth, what they can see is uh, their own motives in inside. And, and God himself ultimately um, uh, will never forsake an honest seeker after the truth. Uh, Jesus Christ himself said, if you want to do the will of God, mm, you know the doctrine. Yes, yes, yes. But they, yeah, because um, uh, I'm just thinking, you know, um, uh, remember like you know uh, no man is is by himself capable of telling you what the scripture means or says um because if you if you if you don't find out what something means you have to go back to the author and the author himself uh, uh, has put into the book uh how we should read it for example like the rules of interpretation uh he says that the, the bible interprets itself essentially, because uh, it's it's from the author. That's the only piece of information we have uh, from the author. You know, like the way some people are um, some, uh, um I've, I've been to a church where, um, you know, like the, the pastor, okay, in my view, the pastor was just feigning. <laughs> I, I don't think it was it was uh, entirely truthful. Uh, and the reason I'm saying it is because um, of scripture, what scripture says on how to do this. So someone reads a, a passage um, and then he says, uh, the Lord has just told me right now. I, I think you've even seen these uh, videos in South Africa is atrocious um, of, of someone on phone, on phone with God on phone during the service. And and relaying directly on phone um, the the meanings of things and 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 you're like oh my goodness um, is this how scripture says the word is to be interpreted you know like the Bible itself interprets itself and I think people would do good to uh, to understand what the Bible says about how it's itself it should be interpreted because you can't just take one yeah, verse. I think that's very true. And imagine the meaning and that's the meaning yeah yeah i think that's very mm -hmm. true um in fact like oh, all right so oh, i think sorry, we're coming sorry. to a like i can just very quickly say that um yeah, go ahead, that, go ahead. Uh, i think we need to um just manifest that natural skepticism 
it's it's important, you know. Like like as you described, there are a lot of charlatans um, uh, uh, among Christians, particularly among those who claim to be ministers. And if you have that natural skepticism, you know, like a little bit, you know, where you, you like you aren't just um, a gullible person, but that you're willing to take time to study the evidence, God will reward this, I believe, because God is looking for an honest seeker after the truth. Yeah, yeah, and um, and um, I think the same can be said as well for even when someone is, let's say, a Christian is considering some of these scientific discussions, um, because I think it's 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 important. Uh, it's it's not pertinent to salvation, but it's important uh, um, to have with you. Um, it's kind of that thing that. Um, it's not directly important, but it's really important. You know, Paul had, uh, he actually, he was knowledgeable on, on the Greek philosophers. So when he went to Athens, he even he was quoting from them, as the book of Acts says, until they were astonished. So he, he wasn't just, a, um, uh, he wasn't the stereotypical Christian uh, who who's just, uh, yeah, let's say, without knowledge of, of cause I'm even there about the world dances, for example, who really hated uh, the theology, but they would go to the local institutions just to have an understanding of, of contemporary uh, teaching. Um, and so that they can also like use it obviously against itself. Um, at least, you know, when, when, <laughs> when, when someone mentions something, you know what they are talking about, right? So uh, in that length of, of, of thought. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think it's the same thing with, like uh, being an honest seeker, I believe it's Isaiah 28, uh, chapter chapter 28, verse 10, talking about whom shall he teach knowledge? Uh, them that are weaned from the milk, right? From the breast. And he, what he means is those who are who come to God like babies. You know, babies want to learn. They're devoid of knowledge, right? You don't come with your own ideas. And so that's the kind of a person God will teach knowledge. In fact, I think one of the rules is there, as you and I know, from verse, uh, verse 11 and 12, are talking about here a little, there a little. Like the Bible has answers to all its uh, questions within itself. Um, so you want to find out uh, what a symbol means, the answer is in the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I'd like to bring this to a close. Um, so Japheth, uh, I don't know what you have to say uh, in view of the discussion we've had um uh, you've 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 said uh, quite quite a lot of things i'm sure people will find uh, beneficial um like the whole point is to expose people to information they may not otherwise have known so they can go back and study for themselves and um before i thank you and end this thing um i'd like you to just make your final comments uh even make it look like a final pitch you know like a salesman <laughs> Okay, yeah, so thank you so much, uh, uh, Sere, for uh, this uh, opportunity. Um, I, I believe that it is essential for us to have our faith rooted upon evidence. It is very essential. It is like, first of all, so that you know for yourself that you're not following cunningly devised fables, but that these things are true. And that this ladder of truth, it, it begins with the elements of faith and it continues into every other sphere, even in the sphere of science, if you're a scientist or otherwise. That um, the way you would perceive everything uh, is uh, 
and weigh things in the balance is the same way you would perceive even spiritual things. And, um, uh, uh, and because of this, once you start exercising this thing regularly day by day, then I believe it will even enrich your spiritual experience. I, I think as, as, uh, uh, as you said right now, this thing is not, it is not explicitly a matter of uh, um, like a, a critical issue with regard to your salvation. That is to say, if you don't engage in apologetic studies, it is not that, let's say, you make it to heaven. It is more that uh, it will uh, keep you from being deceived uh, here and there. It will establish a, you upon a very, very firm platform um, of the truth, and it will make it perfectly clear to you that that the things that you believe are, are ultimately true. Um, I, I really believe that we need to become readers. Uh, I know that many of the people who listen to this podcast are Kenyans. And Kenyans, this is, we, we do not read. We need to start reading. We need to start studying. We need to become more engaged in the issues of truth, such that uh, the last book people read is normally maybe the book just before they uh, uh, submit their thesis paper for their bachelors, or, or, or maybe even before then, you know. And that means maybe for... The other books you read them be newspaper articles and things like that. Nothing in depth that challenges the mind and makes you, you know, wrestle with the issues that you may grow um, as a more fulfilled uh, believer, as a like as a human being that uh, appreciates science and faith in its fullness. Um, I really urge that um, obviously, with discretion, that you take time to study material that will uh, benefit you spiritually. There are particular authors that I would like to recommend that you study. Um, because for me, um, I think for my brother, Seremani, uh, you, the philosophical arguments really capture you. And for me, uh, um, as I said, philosophical arguments are correct. They're correct. I like the Kalam argument, cosmetic argument. I like the arguments from morality and things like that. But for me, the arguments from teleology, the arguments from design are the strongest. And uh, these are the ones that I find from just a, a, a review of, of, of nature and books about nature. So I urge that you take time to study this matter called intelligent design, which um, claims that um, quite simply the evidence for design in nature is not an artifact of, um, uh, of perception. It is real that design in nature is actually real. So please take time to study Dr. Stephen Meyer's books. I really love his ministry. Um, and uh, Dr. Doug Axe, Douglas Axe, and um, Dr. Michael Behe, and a few others who have these, um, who have really um, expounded clearly that that um, creation is possible, that intelligent design is actually real. And more than this, take time to study the Bible for yourselves, and uh, be more, uh, have more closer encounters with God, and uh, establish your faith upon a firmer footing than. Um, as is presently. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so thanks again, Jafet, for showing up and uh, taking part in the podcast. Um, yeah, so uh, as, as Andrew to keep this announcement for the end, um, we were supposed to finish up with constitutionalism, but uh, the past weeks have been quite busy. So I guess uh, we'll look at it maybe probably next month. But for this month, uh, we'll be dealing with uh, apologetics with Jafet being our first guest. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can find him on, are you on Facebook? 
I should actually start a, like an online. I, I, I keep away from social media, but I realized that it is to my detriment. So I think actually after this podcast, I'll try and establish myself um, online. Yeah. Because at present, I am nowhere online. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, sure. Right. So if, if you have a question for him or if you'd like to uh, look him up, um, you can get in touch with me through my email and I'll send you his email. Um, and then you'll be able to talk to him. As, at least if we put it like that, the, the person who wants to talk to you uh, will really be determined to talk to you <laughs> instead of putting it out there. Um, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be one to talk to you. So, um, uh, yeah, so thank you so much. I think we'll bring it to a close right there and enjoy your week.